great morning to be here. There's no better place to be this morning, and it's great to see those who are here and also those who are worshiping with us online this morning. Glad everyone could join. Um, we're just here to, to worship our God, and I want to read a few verses from Psalm and try to get us in the, in the right mindset. This is what the psalmist said from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and songs. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. What a great reminder, not only of everything that he's done, how worthy he is of our praise, but also of how he takes care of us. If you'd stand, we'll sing, we'll sing of his glory. have an announcement this morning to uh, make. It's my honor to announce that Brad and Emily Waller will be members at Creekside Church, and uh, we just want to welcome them. And Bob Short and I listened to their testimonies, how they came to know the Lord as their personal Savior, and it's always heartwarming to do that. And they love Jesus as their Savior, and they want to serve here at Creekside Church, and we want to just welcome them and give them a prayer of blessing. Our Father, we just uh, thank you so much for when uh, people come to know the Lord as their Savior. We just love Christ and love your word. We love your spirit, how you work in, in our lives. We pray for your blessing to Brad and Emily and their little baby. And bless them and help them to serve you at their job. Brad's a doctor at Broadlands Hospital. We just pray for your blessing to him. And Emily, too, is a nurse. We pray for her blessing and raising their child at home. Help them to grow in their relationship with Christ and help us to show love to them. And as we welcome them to Creekside, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Norb. Uh, just a few other announcements that I want to call to everyone's attention here this morning. If you would uh, please be reminded that today is Urbandale Food Pantry Collection Day, so if you didn't get that in, that's okay. Take today, buy some stuff, bring it here, drop it off tomorrow, and that's fine. If you can, that'd be great. You can leave it, and uh, Megan will not appreciate this, but you can leave it, leave it in the administrative office, and uh, we'll, we'll get taken care of. Or you can, there's a place in the coat closet that has Urbandale Food Pantry listed there, so you can put it there if you'd like. Also, I want to remind you that right after the service, uh, Debbie Short, who's coordinating the Christmas program, the children's Christmas program, actually the Christmas program, it's not a children's Christmas program. Adults, young people, everybody's asked to meet in the fellowship hall uh, to kind of hear what's going on and sign up for your participation. So everybody gets a chance to use their gifts, abilities, and has an opportunity to Share the gospel of Christ and the blessing of Christmas through the, through the Christmas program, which will be on the 20th, right? 20th December. December 20th, we're going to have that as our, our service in the morning. Also, I uh, want to remind you, if you uh, know about the wedding this evening, after later this afternoon, the reception, uh, actually the wedding and reception, most more people will be going to the reception for uh, Aaron and Brooke. Please talk to Rod Clarkson after the service. He has the scoop on how to get there, okay? So it's downtown Des Moines, and it's not where your GPS is going to take you, so you need to talk to Rod, and uh, Ron Carter has given Rod the expressed instructions. So talk to Rod after the service today. I would uh, like to invite you to pray with me, some folks in our church, and I'm not going to mention everybody, but some people have some real needs, and I'm just going to be praying for them. These are not for publicity everywhere in the world, but to uh, ask you to be praying for them, if you would, uh, after I pray. Father, uh, this morning I, I pray and have been praying specifically for the Vander Lindens. I know that uh, this morning they had to take Manisha to the emergency room and uh, with a high fever and some nausea and vomiting, and I pray uh, that you would give the doctors wisdom, that you would comfort and courage, 
uh, Tom and Tracy and Rose and, and Manisha as well. I pray that in the midst of this trial, they would shine the light of Christ. And I pray for her quick and full recovery. I ask that you'd work powerfully uh, through our sister Marge, who knows that she's near the end. I pray uh, that her testimony, her light shining for Jesus would be such a light that would impact her family, that the seeds that she's sown would find fertile soil, that they would sprout and grow and bear much fruit, that all would know Jesus. I pray uh, that your spirit would continue to work in her heart and soul. I pray for our sister Rod, or Rod's wife, Carol, that you would encourage her as she struggles and is challenged with just uh, pain and uh, not know where it's come from and discomfort. We pray that she might get some answers this week. And again, Lord, help us all in the light of the struggles and challenges we face to remember and desire and do what is right and honest and true in your sight, that we would bring glory to you in it all. And I ask now, Father, that as we continue to worship you through the study of your word, you'd help us to grasp more fully. It's easy to sing, I will follow you. But Lord, as we will unfold this morning from your word, it's much more difficult to actually do that. So give us grace and strength to accomplish that for which you've called us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we were approaching the Croatian border and my friend Janos, who was driving, noticed a sign on a fence that surrounded a huge wheat field and he translated, I said, what are you, what are you laughing at or what are you chuckling about? And he translated the sign which said, beware of mines. I was stunned to think that here was a farmer in the 21st century actually farming ground that could have potentially active ordinance from World War II. I thought, this is crazy. You know, to, to walk your way into Croatia is a dangerous thing. It's literally, you had to cross a minefield. And this morning, as I thought about the text that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus had been talking to his disciples and basically he's telling them in Matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 23, uh, you're about to enter into a minefield, okay? Uh, Jesus had already proven his power and demonstrated his divine identity through the miracles that he'd worked in chapters 8 and 9 and through his proclamation there. And so now, based on his authority and based upon his identity, he calls his disciples to follow him into ministry. So in chapter, that's at the end of chapter 9, and in chapter 10, he gives them instructions, and he gives us instructions how that's supposed to work out. But before he sends them out, he says, look, just a little bit of warning here. There, there, there are minefields out there, and I want you to be aware of it. See, despite the fact that they might have thought that they were invincible, they were actually really pretty vulnerable. And he wanted them to know that they were in danger as they went out. They weren't invincible. They were sheep being sent out amidst wolves. And you say, well, okay, that's them. What about us? Well, the telescoping nature or significance of this message means that it's relevant for every disciple of Jesus Christ from the time of the apostles until the return of Christ to establish his millennial kingdom. The truths, the principles are just as appropriate for us. Not every detail, but the, the principles are true. And so this morning, we're going to look at the fact that we are all, if we know Christ, sent out as sheep among wolves. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10 or to your, get, find it on your device, your app or whatever you have there. And uh, you can, there, I think there's some Bibles under the seats if you don't have one with you. But we're in Matthew chapter 10 and I'm going to read verses 16 through 23, which is sent as sheep among wolves. Here's the danger, beware of minds sign that Jesus put out for his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep. In the midst of wolves, therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it, will be, it shall be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going throughout the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Wow. Three, three highlights, uh, three ways Jesus highlights the danger of discipleship. I I read this and I go, who wants to sign up for this? Sign up! I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. First of all, Jesus highlights the severity of the the danger. It's declared to us, okay? He he just declares flat out, here's what you're looking at. Staring down the barrel of this kind of danger. And he gives three instructions to emphasize that danger. In verse 16, the very first part of the verse, he basically saying, be as vulnerable as sheep. You are like sheep. Okay. See, the wolves, he says we're sending them out amongst wolves, particularly in this context, meant the religious leaders, those hostile to the cause of Christ. But it includes anybody who's hostile to the gospel. It reference to them, but all people who are opposed to the gospel. This is a horribly graphic, actually. Horribly graphic and sobering description of what God is sending us into. My friend Darwin Anderson has described it this way. An adult sheep, adult wolf, I'm sorry, an adult wolf can take down 20 to 30 sheep in a minute, simply hamstringing them, and then comes back later to kill them. Okay, sign me up. Sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus says. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Craig Fleener in his commentary put it this way, persecution and proclamation are inseparable. Persecution and proclamation are inseparable. Those who reject the message of Christ will resist the messengers of Christ. Those who resist the gospel will reject those who proclaim the gospel. Jesus sends us out. Think about that. Jesus sends us out as sheep amidst the wolves into the danger which is absolute contrary to much of our Christian culture. Which says, oh, don't go into what's dangerous because that couldn't be of God. God wouldn't want you to be in danger. Oh no, what does he say here? Go out and be with the wolves. No, this doesn't play well. See, danger and death to self are unpopular messages for believers who are enamored with the, this is your best life now. Comfy, cozy, cushy life without trouble, without difficulty. That's what we all aspire to in the Christian subculture. I have been told of a young man who every day is moving from place to place to place because he lives as a believer in the Lord Jesus and speaks of his faith in a culture that is hostile and he fears for his life. He has no home. He moves from place to place to place to place to keep from being killed by those who would want him exterminated as a threat. Romans chapter 8 verse 36 um, says this, Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And now Jesus is not saying we should seek out, continuously uh, be exposed to persecution. What he's saying is that you will receive it. You will experience it. We will experience it. 
where undoubtedly we'll face danger. And, you know, some of you are familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted if we live godly in Christ Jesus. You know, I was thinking the other day, you think about different people, and this is not a political statement, but, the, but our current vice president is a professed believer in, in Christ, uh, Vice President Mike Pence. He is the recipient of persecution. Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, same thing, recipient of persecution because of their faith. And Jesus said, so think about this, when our classmates, and when our family members, when our neighbors, when our coworkers, when those that we thought were our friends ostracize us and criticize us and marginalize us and make fun of us and put us down and betray us because of our faith. That's painful, but it's predictable. It's what Jesus said would happen. As a high school student, I had friends who would mock me at times, not all the time, but they would make fun of me. They would exclude me because of my particular stance on morality and refusal to take part in certain activities at parties, and so it's just best not to have him there. It happens. And I wonder, I ask myself, I'd say, look at this. Christ never sends us out alone. He sends us, but he doesn't send us alone. So that's the comfort, okay? So we go at his bidding. Okay, we go at his bidding. In his power, with his presence, for his purpose, trusting in his providence. Not, not a fun sign up. Yeah, send me out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, fine. But you're not going alone. Okay. His presence, his power, his purpose, it's for him. And I ask myself, and I think about this in just some recent events, things I've been reading, am, am I ready to face that kind of persecution? I mean, I've faced some persecution, but we're, we live a pretty cushy life here. Am I ready to face hostility? Am I willing to go to prison for my faith? Am I willing to lose the loss of my possessions? Am I willing to have to run into the wilderness like some of our brothers and sisters in Christ do to escape death in places like India and some places in Korea and other places in the world, Southeast Asia? And watch... As the writer of Hebrews says, people who joyfully accepted the plundering of their possessions. I don't know. I this quote from Winston Churchill after the Allies were forced to evacuate Dunkirk. He says this. He said to his fellow Englishmen, all I have to promise you, all I have to offer you is blood, sweat, and tears. So I come this morning. In the Bible, Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Folks, I hope it becomes increasingly clear to you in the age in which we live that Christianity is becoming more and more marginalized, less and less tolerated, and much more vilified. And we need to be in a position in our spirit, in our heart, that we're willing to live for Jesus in a way that we see ourselves as sheep in the midst of wolves. Not running into it willingly, nillily, without understanding, but understanding that it's coming, if it hasn't already come. Therefore, he says, be wise as serpents. That's the second command. The first is you be vulnerable as sheep, but be wise as serpents. We're supposed to be going into this and accept the persecution with well, without reservation. Enter danger without reservation, but not without wisdom. <laughs> Don't be stupid. You don't have to be stupid about it. Uh, we can understand. Shrewd. It means wise in a practical way. Uh, Jesus was pretty bold before Pilate, wasn't he? You have no authority that's given to you except that which my Father has given to you. You can't kill me. You can't execute me. Listen to me. This is John chapter, uh, John chapter uh, or Luke, I'm sorry. It's in John chapter 20, I think, 19 or 20. Uh, 
and Jesus was bold before Pilate, uh, Luke 23. Paul was pretty wise in Acts 17 when he said, oh, you guys, you know, you're talking about this unknown God. I, I kind of know who that is. Let me tell you about him. So he was wise. He was, he was prudent. You see, without unnecessarily being offensive, we're tactful but tenacious in presenting the truth. I was so appreciative of the little evangelism seminar that we had here this last summer where uh, we, were, we were challenged with the idea of why don't we just talk to people about, you know, questions. How's your life? You know, unsaved neighbors, you know, how, how is your life? And then listen to their story. And as they share their story, then try to connect their story with our story. There's a hurt, there's a pain, there's a separation, there's a sorrow. Well, I can understand that. I, I, I can appreciate that. And then would you mind if I shared with you something that has totally changed my life? No. I mean, and then we have a chance to talk about the gospel and how the gospel has impacted our life. That's tact with tenacity. Okay, so Jesus is saying be shrewd as, as serpents, you know, be wise, as, wise as, as serpents in this, okay? And then finally he says be as innocent as doves, and I'm not just drawing this out of the, you know, this is in the text, if, if you look at verse 16, and be innocent as doves without blemish in our character. We're not belligerent, rude, obnoxious, demeaning or demanding because we don't want to bring offense to the person of Christ or to his cause. The gospel is offensive enough, okay? The gospel is offensive enough. Uh, so we don't have to be knuckleheads to, to try to you know, win people to Christ. We can go out there and, and share the gospel with them with joy. And so we're supposed, innocence means to be truthful. In two ways. First of all, truthful with our message. And what is our message? It's the offensive message. It's the message that God is our creator. And he is holy. And he is just. Okay, Genesis 1.1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, we, we talked about this this morning in, in the first service. He is our creator. He's holy. He is just. In him is light, and there is no, no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. Absolute holiness. They cannot stand in the presence of sin, but we are sinful. We are rebellious. We are obnoxious. We're hostile, as the scripture calls us to. And we are sinful. We're all sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 19, also verse 23. And, we res and the result of that is that we deserve to die. We deserve separation from God. And I think about this. I was thinking about this this morning. How many times do I share the same message? But that's the message. God is holy and righteous. Man is wicked, sinful, separated from God. Then there is Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Romans 5.8 Demonstrated his love toward us. Why were yet sinners? Christ died for us and rose again to prove that he had victory over sin and death so that all who would repent and turn from him would be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life reconciled to God and be able to live a life of purpose now and for eternity. That's our message. And all the garbage that's going around social media, all of the conflict, all of the separation, all the canceling people, all of the difficulty, all of the, it's, the solution is in Christ. It's not just pie-in-the-sky stuff. Jesus is the answer. Because only as we are reconciled in our relationship with God and then with each other, then can we, ourselves, can we be reconciled with the world and with the people of the world and with the creation that God has given. The answer is in Christ. And that's the message we carry. Now, it's not a message that people want to hear, but we must carry the message in truth. And we're truthful also in our motives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says some things to the Thessalonians, and he says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, or as you, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is a witness. I mean, we, we aren't there as charlatans peddling our snake oil, hoping that people will buy it and then be deceived so we can make money. 
We're there because we want people to know the kingdom. See, this is the thing that distinguishes the Christian faith from, from many other religions. We don't want people to go to hell. We want people to join us in heaven. And that's the wonderful message. So I think about this. Why would, who, who has these motives? I was thinking this morning. It was interesting because, um, you know, people serve and share and do things not to be seen. Not because they're trying to gain praise for themselves. And I thought about our guys on our tech team, you know. Think about that. The only thing they hear are criticisms, right? No compliments, just criticism. Sign me up for that one. That's what I want to do in the church is only be criticized. You see, pure motives. Innocence in truthful message. Innocence in truthful motive. We share the truth. And we live for the truth. And then this innocence uh, is also seen through our, our tact. It's not just through the truth, but it's through our tact, okay? Not crude, not vulgar, just sharing the gospel. So Jesus is very clear in this. He, the severity of the danger we face is laid out for us. Then the second thing that he does, uh, the second way he shows us the landmines that are in fa- in, we face as disciples is the sources of danger that we face are, are described. And there are at least two sources of danger that he highlights in this text. First of all, he highlights our foes, our enemies. Verse 17. But beware of men, okay, and... Uh, and I'm going to tease this out. And then he says, Beware of men that they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues and you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up to, do not become anxious about what you're going to say. Okay? For it shall be given to you in that hour what you are to speak. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of God who speaks in you and through you. So let's think about these, these, this danger from our foes. There are three facts I want to highlight. First of all, the reality of suffering. Beware of men. <laughs> People. Just out there. Okay? People in general. The world in general. You see, we're not supposed to live in contempt of the world. We're not supposed to, to live with constant criticism of the world. We're not supposed to live with some sort of paranoid mistrust of everybody out there. But we're supposed to live honestly understanding that the world is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That man is not basically good. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Man is not basically good. This is the premise. This is the basis of Marxist socialism. It's the basis of humanism. It's the basis of every secular ideology. And it is a lie. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John 3.19. This is a judgment that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We need to know this and understand it. The reality of the suffering is coming. So disciples will, if you look at the text, he says they'll deliver you up to their courts and scourge you in their synagogues. I understand this to mean religious persecution. Persecution from religious sources. The the courts are like religious tribunals. And the synagogues, obviously, for the Jewish people, were the synagogues in which they were scourged. Now think about this. The disciples... If you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, that's what they suffered. <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees were always ready to pounce on Jesus and on the, on the apostles. In fact, who was the greatest per- religious persecutor of Christians in the New Testament? Paul, formerly named Saul, who said this, Acts twenty two nineteen, 19, when he's given a defense, he says that he used to imprison and beat those who believed. Religious persecution. The promise anticipates, I think, centuries of Christians suffering at the hands of the religious of all sorts of stripes and and people, some from Christian religion, some from other religions. Think about John Huss, Justin Martyr, John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, all suffered at the hands of the church, okay? This is a story that I, I read several years ago, actually, and I've shared it before. The setting is Khartoum, Sudan. There were several hundred students who were gathered into the city square, and the mullah commanded that the children all bow the knee 
and recite a prayer of conversion to Islam. One nine-year-old boy refused to bow his knee because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And the mullah said, you either bow or you die. The boy remained standing. And the mullah ordered the guards to execute the boy. As he fell to the ground, 40 other students stood up, testifying to their allegiance to Jesus. The mullah proceeded to have four of them executed. And after four more were executed, the rest remained standing, and he declared they were not worthy to become slaves. They should go to prison. Folks, around the world... Brothers and sisters in Christ refuse to compromise. Some to the point of giving their lives. And that's what Jesus said. You will receive persecution. Religious persecution. And that's what they get. We also face social political persecution. Okay, From governors, it says in the text. From governors and kings. Well, Think about John. He was beheaded because he told the king, you're living in sin. Matthew chapter 14, Paul, in the book of Acts, he went before Felix, he went before Festus, he went before Agrippa, he ultimately ended up before Caesar, before kings. And in Hebrews, as I mentioned before, in 1034, the the believers there, it says that they joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. For my namesake, it says, for my namesake. See, the world hates Christians because the world hates Christ. And we stand for Christ. I want you to look at John, uh, I think we have John chapter 15, verse 18 uh, through 21. And if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love it, its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because, I, uh, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. For my name's sake, for Jesus' sake. It's not we get persecuted because we just act stupid. It's not we get persecuted because we're, uh, you know, crazy people. It's we get persecuted because we name the name of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? You can say God. You can say a higher power. You can say all kinds of things. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, people get the heebie-jeebies. Unless they're saying the name of Jesus in a profane way. People say, they, they talk about Jesus all the time. They talk about Jesus Christ all the time. They even talk about God all the time. But they always preface it with some profanity and in some profane way. Sometimes I just like to say, oh, do you know him? You sound like you have a relationship with this Jesus Christ. True, I don't know. Maybe we should. I should. We should. See, hostility comes up. See, Rome persecuted believers. And I will give you a little insight. Socialist, socialism, Marxist socialism, wherever it has occurred and whenever it has occurred, always persecutes Christians. Because they name the name of Jesus. And it's a godless system. Any godless system that promotes godlessness will always persecute God and his son Jesus. I mean, think about it. Even in our own, in our own society, just the, the recent uh, Judge Amy... Connie Barrett, you know, she's taken a lot of heat because of her faith, you know. Even from Christian quarters, even from other religious quarters, okay, it happens. Think about the churches, the churches in states that aren't open states, churches that have been persecuted, believers who've been persecuted. Oh, you can't worship, you can't come in. We can have casinos open, we can have marches in the street with thousands and thousands of people, we can have all kinds of conventions and all kinds of stuff, but we can't have people gathering more than 50 people in a church. Well, that's persecution because of your your faith by the governors and governments of society, okay? So then we see the reason for suffering. And this is, I, I, 
I know I've seen this before, but it stuck out to me this time. And in verse 18, and you shall be even be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake. Now look, it says, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You see, when, when, when government authorities, when we're brought unjustly, when Christians are brought unjustly before governing authorities, it provides Christians as a platform, a platform for a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus. Through our words and through our actions. That's what, I mean, think about Paul. Read uh, beginning over Acts chapter 22 through verse, uh, chapter 28, 27. He's in prison, but I mean, the, the dude is gospel sharing, witnessing all people are coming to him. He's sharing the gospel. Uh, you know, Felix wants to talk to him. Festus wants to talk to him. Agrippa wants to hear his story. And he's just sharing the gospel. Oh, if you keep talking, I, you might even be convinced me to become a Christian. And Paul says, oh, that God would grant that all people would be as I am except for these chains. We don't think about that, right? Suffering is supposed to be, oh, woe is me, bad, bad me. And Paul's in prison in Acts 16 and he's praising God and sharing the gospel. Is that our perspective? That's what he says. It's a reason. There's a reason. Think about people like Corey Tinboom, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, people like John MacArthur now with a platform for sharing the gospel as a result, as you know, the reason for their persecution. God says, hey, you get a chance to talk about Jesus, so don't, don't knock it. And then he shows us the resources for suffering. And this is verses 19 and 20. We, we follow Jesus into danger. And he'll give us what we need. This is my summary of it, okay? He says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious what you're going to say. He'll give us what, is, what we need to show up, stand up, and speak up. Okay? Get thrown, you know, before the wolves? Don't worry. <laughs> and I, I, I worry a little bit because, you know, I like to be prepared, right? And some of you other A types, you know, you know, anal retentive uh, type A personalities, you know, you kind of like, <laughs> I want to know what's around the next corner. You're the people who have every stop planned on your next vacation. You know, I know where we're going to go to the bathroom. I know where we're getting gas. I know where we're eating the food. I, I know I got every T crossed and every I dotted. And Jesus says, chill out because you don't have this one. Just trust me. Just trust me. And it's hard. In Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 15, uh, he, Jesus gives us some indication of that, so you can look it up if you want to. But uh, the next thing, it's not we face danger from our foes, but we also face danger from our family. And this is probably one that's going to be a little bit harder. In verse 21, he says, And brother will deliver a brother to death. I mean, even the painful reality is that the gospel will bring divisions. And some of you know this. And betrayal, even to the point of death. And I know story after story, not, not multiple stories. Well, multiple stories, but not a multitude of stories, okay? Know the difference? I knew multiple stories of people who've come to faith in Christ. And their family were out to kill them. Especially when they come to faith out of Hinduism or out of Islam. And their family wants them gone. They are dead to them. And I think about myself and I think, would I follow Jesus if my family completely disowned me? And not only that, but wanted me dead. And Jesus says, that will happen. And it does happen. And we know that it happens. And we see it, we're going to see it again in Matthew chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, where Jesus quotes Micah chapter 7, verse 6, and says that this will happen. Father will be against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and it will be bad. And I think about the story that I heard a long time ago about Miriam, who was a Jewess. She grew up in a very affluent family in the northern suburbs of Chicago, in Highland Park. And her father was a rabbi. And God got a hold of Miriam's life and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. She turned from her self-directed life and trusted Christ and became a believer. 
And her father was distraught. He called in rabbis from New York and all over the country to try to change her mind. And no, she wouldn't change her mind. And there was one big social event that they had at their home every year where there were many, many high influential dignitaries in the Jewish community that came. And Miriam was asked to play the piano, performed by her father in front of the crowd of Jewish people. She had always done it, so she did it again. And with all eyes riveted on Miriam, she sat down and she didn't just play, but she sang, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow you. Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow you. And when she finished playing, she got up from the piano and she walked out of the house thinking she would never be able to return again. Danger from our family. And I ask myself, is my love for Christ that strong? Do I know him well enough for him to be all that I need? I know that he's all that I want, but is is he all that I need? Will I be like Miriam? And now not every believer is going to be asked to pay that high of price. Don't, Don't hear me saying that. And our new family that we have, as Jesus says is in, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50, you know, we have a new family now. So we can leave our earthly family and we still have family. That's true, but it's still painful. So we see the severity of it. We see the source of danger. And now finally in the last two verses, in verses 22 and 23, we see the summary of this danger. And there's two considerations, I think, that should help us face the danger. First of all, the reality of the danger. In verse 22 at the beginning, he says, and you will be hated. Oh, great. I don't like conflict. You know, some people kind of get ginned up on that. They just kind of like to, you know, kind of batter around. They just kind of like have a little tension there. I'm like, no! I just don't like it. I don't like being disliked. I don't know anybody who does. But am I willing to be hated because I know that I'm loved in a way that is far more important than the hatred of men? He says all people, all men. He just say people from every quarter and every corner of society. Perpetual persecution, I don't think that's what's in view here, but certain suffering and the expectation that if I live for Jesus, there will be people who dislike me because they dislike my Savior. That's what I need to face. You see, the world is all all down with uh, you supporting good causes. We can give food to the food pantry. We can do things in the community, you know, help Joppa, help the homeless, do all these kinds of things. We can march in the streets and promote uh, uh, help for homelessness. We can help the people who are human trafficked, all that stuff. But as soon as we do so, because we say that Jesus died for our sins and it's in relationship with him that we have hope in this world, and that's why we do this, The world doesn't want that. They don't like that. As soon as we understand that that sin separates, then they they become all weirded out. Like Chloe Clark at Iowa State University who says, you absolutely cannot write a paper in my class that would say anything bad about abortion, that say anything bad about uh, any basic biblical tenet that is true. You can't argue against us. Isn't it fascinating in the places of higher learning where we're supposed to expand our thinking and education? It's a dictatorship. If you don't think the way I think, then you're out. But that's the world in which we live. We see it in governments. At one time, mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, said of Chick-fil-A, said the company's support for traditional marriage does not represent the values of our city. And so they tried to ban Chick-fil-A from having... You know, I mean, there's airports that have banned Chick-fil-A, right, because they're, they don't go along with it. That is the persecution that we face. It's a danger. Think about entertainment. You, see, you don't hear a lot of Christian people speaking out openly about their faith. And John Voight's one, but he catches a lot of flack. There are others, you know. They catch a lot of flack for, for their thing. But it's on account of my name, Jesus says. And he says... 
They hate me, Jesus says, because, or they hate you because they hated me. That doesn't, <laughs> okay, doesn't make me feel a whole lot better because uh, I don't really like being hated. But I know that it is my allegiance to Christ. That's what we should cling to. And then in these verses, verse 23 is probably undoubtedly the most difficult verse here. But I understand it this way. The persecution will dog Jesus' apostles as they go on their little short-term mission trip here. Okay, And when it does, they move from city to city. See, they're not stupid. They don't just stand there and get killed. They didn't like you here. Okay. Shake off the dust of your feet, move on to the next place. Don't cast your pearls before the swine, go to the next place. Because God has worked in people's hearts and prepared it. We don't know who they are, so we sow the seed, and wherever the seed falls, fine. When there's opposition, okay, fine. At some point, I can't change their mind, so I move on. But I think this text also includes the ongoing, in view as the ongoing ministry to the people of Israel, who will reject and reject and reject, and you move from city to city to city, and it also sees the mission of the church, which is to all nations, and there will be persecution and problem, problems and problems, and we keep moving on and moving on until Christ returns and sets up his millennial kingdom, and it will be over. And those who prove the reality of their faith by enduring the persecution will be saved. We'll be saved. And so our comfort is in knowing this. We know Christ. We know we cannot be separated from the love of Christ. This is Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Neither height, nor depth, nor any other created being is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and we should cling. We should cling to a glorious inheritance. So I don't know if you're here this morning listening online or you're here this morning and you just say, well, I've never, I've never really given my life to Christ. I've never really committed my life to Christ, but now I'm pretty sure I'm not going to uh, because I really don't want to be hated. Uh, I really don't want to be persecuted. Let me just, let me just say this. I say that submission to certain persecution can only be fueled in my life or anybody else's life by a conviction that temporal pain is far outweighed by eternal gain. That the temporal pain that I experience can only be endured because I'm convinced that there is a greater eternal gain. He says the one who endures till the end will be saved in verse 23. And we look as, a, as the Hebrew people did, the only way they could joyfully accept the uh, plundering of their possessions was because they believed in a better possession and an abiding one, an inheritance that's eternal. First Peter uh, 3, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for us. As Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Which he cannot lose. I would challenge you if you don't know Christ, to choose Christ because the eternal gain far outweighs the temporal pain. At least I believe that. I'm living my life on the basis of it. And if you're a believer in Christ, you are too. And if you're here this morning and, and you know Jesus, Jesus is sending us into a minefield. That's what I want to say. And I don't particularly relish the thought. But listen. He never asked us to do what he's unwilling to do. You know, one of the things that as a leader, in whatever capacity you have, when you ask people and you command people and you beat people and you tell them they're supposed to do something and you don't tell and you don't go with them and you don't show them and you don't do it, they don't respect you. But if they know you're not going to ever ask them to do anything you're not willing to do, they will follow you to the end. And Jesus never asked us to do anything that he was unwilling to do. He was, un, not, he was willing to go to the cross for us. And we're going to face enemies, our foes and our family, but we go in the power of his spirit, with his presence, with his power, for his purposes, understanding and depending upon his providential care. Believing that we will overcome in the world you will have tribulation, Jesus says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. 
I have overcome the world. And so as we come to the close and we stop and pause to break bread and to drink this cup, uh, which, <laughs> whatever, you know, my feelings about these little container things. But anyhow, uh, we, we have the, the little thing that you pull back and you get this manna, uh, you know, and uh, you get, uh, not manna, sorry, it's the, uh, the wafers, okay? Think about this. Jesus is a, re- it's a reminder. The symbols of the bread and the cup are reminders of Jesus' sacrifice for us so that all who believe could come into his family and demonstrating, he demonstrated to us that he's willing to sacrifice in a way that he's called us to. So let us give praise for being called into the family, for being counted worthy. It just blows my mind, the apostles. We, we, we praise God for being counted worthy to suffer for his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the challenge. I pray that your spirit would work in my life, that in each of our lives, that we would live up to that challenge, not because of our inner strength in us, but because of the inner strength of the spirit of God working in and through us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray that as we take this bread and as we take this juice, we would really remember that you sacrificed it all for us. You counted it a privilege and you considered it your loving demonstration to us to go to the cross so that all who believe could be forgiven and help us to live as forgiven people sharing the message of the gospel with others who need to be forgiven and be willing to take the hits for the sake of of sharing the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. I will follow. I will follow. I will listen. I will listen. I will